Amen. Amen. Want to welcome you this morning. Yeah, give the Lord a hand clap and praise. Amen. The same power that is at work in you is the same power that resurrected Christ from the dead. Amen. Amen. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us online. If you are online with us, thank you for being here in person. We have moved on from the book of Jonah out of the belly of the whale, out of Nineveh, out of all of those things that we have learned, and we have moved to the book of Acts, where we're going to see the power of God at work amongst his people, amongst his church. Often you have to know where you have come from to know where you are going. We have spent a great deal of time this last spring talking about 90 years here at Northwest. We have spent a considerable amount of time researching, interviewing, and talking about what God has done through the 90 years of our church's existence. But as part of our story as the church that meets here at 23rd and Drexel Northwest Baptist, we need to go back to the beginning. The story of the church. The story in which God would use some people dedicated to him, empowered by the Spirit to accomplish his purposes and fulfill the mission of Christ. Really, I entitled this series, The Power of God, because every single sermon that you hear from the book of Acts is all about the power of God in his spirit, empowering the work that he wants to accomplish through his people. The word in the Greek for church is ekklesia, It means an assembly or a gathering. And oftentimes this assembly or gathering is around an idea. If you break down the word in the Greek, ek means out of, kaleo means called out. It is the assembly of ones who have been called out. And guess what? This assembly of ones that have been called out is around an idea. And this, this thought process of what the church actually is, it is actually in what we see in the book of Acts is the church is a movement, a movement of God, a gathering of people who are moving because God is driving the church. Sometimes we view the church as an institution or an LLC. Sometimes we view the church as a building or as a program. I'm going to church. I did my church today. Yet the church that we see in Acts is a movement. The danger in, of the church in every age is to cease being a movement and become instead a ministry that provides service to people, or even worse, a place for people to simply attend 
That's not the church. That's not what we see in Acts. That's not Northwest Baptist. It is a people coming together under the banner of Christ to proclaim good news to a world in need of good news. Amen? So let me ask these questions before we get started with our series. Are we, as a church, just doing ministry, running an institution, or are we a part of a movement? For you, is the church a place you attend, or is it a movement that you are personally a part of? When we look at the book of Acts, this is Luke's second book, the second volume, if you will. The first book is the Gospel of Luke. Luke is the author, and it is a continuation of the ministry of Christ. Really, that's what the church is. Jesus continued. God has now given us the spirit of the living God to be the body of Christ here on earth. Michael Green says this in his book, 30 Years That Changed the World. He says this, three crucial decades in world history is all that it took. In the years between AD 33 and 64, a new movement was born. In those 30 years, it got sufficient growth and credibility to become the target the largest religion the world has ever seen to change lives of hundreds of millions of people. It is spread into every corner of the globe and has more than 2 billion adherents. It has indelible impact on civilization, on culture, on education, on medicine, on freedom, and and of course the lives of countless people worldwide. And the seedbed for all of this, the time when it took decisive root, was these three decades. It all began with a dozen men, a handful of women, and the Spirit came. Acts is a book of history, and when we read that, we'll see it unfold as such, a book of history. But we should not read this book like we are a bunch of cold scholars checking dates and facts, cramming for a test to see if we can understand history. We should not look at this book as casual admirers or hobbyists going to museums looking at pieces of history that are interesting to us. Rather, we should look at this book, the book of Acts, like people who are on mission for Christ ourselves and want to see what that looks like in the early church for our life. And when we look at this book, we're going to rejoice at the greatness of our God that does awesome and mighty works that spur us on to be the church today in 2020. Amen? So let's look at the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 1. If you'll stand with me in the reading of God's word, we're going to start here. The Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1, verse 1. Acts is in the New Testament, is directly after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
It is Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself to them after his suffering of many, by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when they had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And the cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away, and when they had entered, they went to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, Judas the son of James, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. You can be seated. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. Father, as we open this book of Acts, we thank you for sending the Spirit of God to come and dwell among your people. And as we look at this book, Father, as we begin, we pray that you would shape our hearts and our minds to be the church. Father, shape us and mold us just as you did the disciples. As you prepared them to be used by God to have this message go to the ends of the earth. And Father, we pray for revival we pray for renewal of your Holy Spirit in our hearts and minds. Father, give us the wisdom and the strength that we need. Help us to hear your truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When I was in the third grade, <coughs> we went to the beach. Now, uh, for us Oklahomans, the beach is something that is very important, right? You only go not very many times in our life. Now, if you're talking about the lake, Oklahomans go to the lake often, but not 
to necessarily to the beach. You got to go all the way over to the west or the east and maybe down south, but you got to go a long distance to get to a beach. And I was in the third grade. We had a large group with us, my grandma, our cousins. We had, we had the full fam there going to the beach in Oregon. We used to live in Oregon. And so we were there. And we get to this beach, and, and we don't go very often. So you're just kind of mesmerized with the waves and the sand and all the things that you see at the beach. And all of a sudden, I turned around, and my party, 15, 20 people, is gone. Literally gone. I'm, not, I'm third grade, small, nine years old or so. And my party, my people, my mama, my brother, they are gone. I'm probably staring at the waves or something, lost sight of the people. I was alone. And all of a sudden, fear struck me. I was alone in a place that I'd never been with no one that I knew. So what did I do? Well, I start running. Run, Forrest, run, right? That's what I did. I think I ran the mile in five minutes flat, probably a world record for a nine-year-old child as I ran down the beach. You can just imagine me running with the rooster tail of sand just coming up because I'm running so fast. And away is down the beach, running until I can't run any further. I realized my running wasn't really getting me any closer to my family. So I asked the lifeguard for help, thankfully. She took me in her vehicle. <laughs> took a little while to get back. We went back to where we started. She asked me, where, where did you begin? Oh, somewhere down there. She rolled up and my family just laughing and smiling, didn't even miss me, right? <laughs> Looking at this exquisite sandcastle, they had turned around, veered off, and they were all looking at the sandcastle. I missed the sandcastle. They hadn't left me, but because of my fear, I felt like they had. You see, the promise of God is that he will not leave you nor forsake you. In one of the greatest exchanges in the Bible, God declares to Joshua after Moses is dead, Joshua chapter 1, verse 5, I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. The writer of Hebrews repeats this promise again, saying, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus, while he is giving his disciples their final marching orders in the great commission, declaring to them the mission of God to his church, he says, and lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the power and the presence of God. God with his 
people. The promise that God says he will dwell in and through his people. We begin to see this book, the book of Acts, we will see what it looks like for a people to be indwelt with the Holy Spirit and the power and the presence of God to come through his church. Look at verse 1 with me. In the first book, O Theophilus, he writes to Theophilus, who we think may be some, some ruler or some, some person in charge as he writes, Luke and Acts to Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This, this is our first point this morning, and it is thus. The Lord promises the Spirit will come. The Lord promises that the Spirit is coming. Now, <clears throat> this is the second volume for Luke, who is a doctor. He would, Luke would actually travel with Paul on his second and third missionary journeys. Luke has displayed Jesus in the Gospel of Luke in exquisite detail, <clears throat> showing Christ's compassion for all people. And he shows at the end of Luke something. He shows the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And he's telling us, I have told you all the things that Christ has commanded in my first book. This is now Jesus continued. Why? Because all of Scripture is pointing to Jesus and the church is pointing back to Jesus. Luke 24, 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus is telling his disciples all of the Old Testament is pointing to Christ. And Luke is going to tell us in Acts all of the New Testament or the church is pointing us back to Christ. <clears throat> and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Thanks, love. Appreciate that. My wife is so such kind, loving. She even knows when I need a drink of water. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized 
with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I'm going to show you three places where the Holy Spirit is promised by God in Scripture. Number one is Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25. This is the promise that he gives to his people. This is what he says in the new covenant. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. From all your idols, I will clean you. Water is representative of cleansing. Water is also representative of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's cleansing of his people. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And be careful to obey my rules. Now, this is the Spirit of God that He is promising to put into His own people. Now, how does He do this? He does it through Christ. You see, Christ allows the presence of God to dwell in His people. Remember in the New Testament, I mean, in the Old Testament, They had a place called the Holy of Holies, the place where God himself dwelt. No one could enter this place as God is holy and righteous. Remember remember the, the guy who is trying to hold up the Ark of the Covenant and he puts his hand on the Ark of the Covenant and he dies. Why? Because he can't be near the presence of God. Magnificent, the holy, the righteous, the awe of God has now come to us. Why isn't it like it was in the Holy of Holies where the priest could only enter once a year and he had to do all this ritual cleansing just to be able to enter into the presence of God? How can God's presence now live among us? Because the blood of Christ covers our sin. Jesus gives us the ability to receive the Holy Spirit because we are now declared righteous. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And God's spirit comes inside of us and gives us the ability to obey and the power to overcome. Joel 2.28 is also another scripture in which God promises to pour out his spirit. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. God is actually pouring out his spirit generously. Peter will actually reference Joel when he declares his sermon at Pentecost. As God is saying, my spirit is going to be amongst 
people after the resurrection of Christ, the Spirit is going to allow people to accomplish the works of God. And Jesus talks about the Spirit in John 16, 7, and he tells us it's coming. He says, nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Have you ever thought about that? It is to our advantage for the Spirit to come. Jesus inside of us is better than Jesus beside us. We always think that it would be better for Jesus to stand right here. If I only could just talk to Jesus, if I only could just, just, just be with Christ, if, if I could just touch Jesus, Jesus himself said, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I go away, the helper will come to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of the world is judged. I still have many things to say, but cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. A lot to say here. But the Spirit is doing what? Is convicting sinners that they need a Savior who is the righteous one, Jesus, and they must repent and believe in him or else face judgment. What does the Spirit want to do? Wants to glorify Christ. And how does the Spirit glorify Christ? Convicting people of their sin, pointing them to the only righteous one that can save them, So they don't have to face the judgment and the wrath of God. The promise of the Spirit coming, the presence of God among his people. We see this in verse 5 is when she talks about baptism. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. Verse 5, the word here, baptized, is immersed. When the Spirit comes, he will immerse you. You will be covered in the Spirit. You will be made clean. Titus 3, 5, and 6 talks about the work of regeneration or new birth, which is by the Spirit of the living God. Titus 3, 5, he saved us, not because of our works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly 
through Jesus Christ, our Savior. The Spirit is the living water in which we drink from. We are immersed in the presence of God, which comes to dwell inside of us. I just had to take this time to kind of give you a picture of the Spirit, because we're going to be talking about the Spirit throughout the book of Acts, and we have to understand the theology behind the Holy Spirit, the third person of the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, or else we don't understand what God is doing. But God is sending his presence to dwell amongst his people, to dwell in his people, in his church. And he promises that it would come. Verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by your own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. This is point number two this morning. The power of God drives the church to be Christ's witnesses. The power of God drives the church to be witnesses for Christ. Can you be a witness without the power of God? It's really the question. Oftentimes we try. And we will fail. The disciples open this section with a valid question. Is this the time to restore the kingdom of Israel? Is this the time where we make it like it should be? Are we still going to be under Roman authority and law? Is there still going to be sin Pain, suffering? Or did the cross make that end? I mean, today we could ask the same questions, right? Is the coronavirus going to end? Is Jesus coming back in 2020? What's going to happen? Jesus says clearly here, it's not your place. The Father has all that fixed. But your job, what you're supposed to do, what you're supposed to think on, that's this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now think about this. We often think about this as our location. We think about um, the central location of where we are in our church, we, we would use the terminology of home, city, state, United States, world, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, extending those regions. Jerusalem is our city. Judea is our state. <clears throat> Samaria is our nation or surrounding our state. And then the ends of the earth. But think about this. Jesus asked them to go to Jerusalem. What just happened in Jerusalem 40 days ago? He was crucified. They hate Jesus. 
in Jerusalem. And guess what? In turn, they hate his disciples. So go to a city where they hate me and be my witnesses there. And then go to Judea and Samaria, if if you're familiar with Samaritans or the good Samaritan, you've often heard that Samaritans are often not liked or hated by Jews. Jesus calls the disciples to go to a place where they hate you and then go to a place, Samaria, where you hate them. And then, by the way, go to the ends of the earth. Go to a place you've never been before. So, so let's get this straight. The plan is to go to a people that hate us, then us to go to a people that we hate, and then to go to places unknown. That's the plan. Witness Christ there. That is the plan. I want you to wait. Because the power and the presence of God must go with you. So you want to be a witness for Christ? The power and the presence of God must be leading you in the Spirit. You want to be a church that is a witness for Christ? It better be the power and the presence of God dwelling amongst his people. You know, we can have all the best plans, the best programs, smiling faces when we greet people. When, when people gather here at NWBC, at Northwest Baptist Church, nothing is going to cause them to repent and believe upon Christ other than the power and the presence of the living God through his spirit. It is not enough to be a good church. The church must be filled with people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Just as when Solomon filled the temple, the spirit of the living God fills the temple that is God's church, his people. God cleanses them up, he dwells among them, and he uses them for his work. That's why we come up here and we preach the word. I don't have power on my own to preach. It is only through the word of God, looking at the scripture and expositing the word of God that has power. Why? Because the word of God is from the spirit of the living God who speaks through his word. Watch as we go throughout this book. As the spirit fills people What happens? They speak the word. They speak the truth of God. They proclaim the word of God to people. The spirit speaks truth through people. They're witnessing or testifying to Christ. Here's some of our excuses today of why we're not witnesses or testifying or proclaiming Christ. I'm going to give you four or five, and then I'm going to debunk them, all right? So here's your list of excuses 
my list of excuses, whoever list of excuses of why we are not witnessing for Christ. I don't have what it takes. It's not my gift. I witness with my life. I'm too busy. It's sometimes weird to talk to people about Jesus. There's your, there's your list. <clears throat> now let's debunk them with what God's word says here in Acts 1.8. I don't have what it takes. You have the power of God that lives inside of you called the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you don't have what it takes. It's not my gift Yes, some have special abilities, but the responsibility is for all believers who are in Christ to be his witnesses. I witness with my life. Yeah, that's great. You can be an example, but at some point, the gospel is really, is not really about what you have done, but what has Christ done And without communicating that, how can someone be saved? I'm too busy. I mean, I have to work. I have to deal with my kids. I got a life. I got to drink coffee in the morning. I got to do all of these things. I'm too busy to be a witness for Christ. I heard a pastor say one time, you're too busy. Well, Jesus was too busy too but he was busy with people. I heard a mom once say, I'm too busy. I've got soccer practice. I think we should think of soccer practice as gospel ministry. It's sometimes weird to talk about Jesus with people. Yeah, evangelism is often uncomfortable. I'll be the first to admit that. Yet, if this is truly the message that saves people's lives, which it is, and we truly believe it with all our heart, which we do, wouldn't we want to tell people? We had the message. If we had the cure for the coronavirus, don't you think we would want to tell people? The gospel is the power to save and the grace to live. Let's share it. And then you have this obscure passage when when they see Jesus going into heaven, you, you can imagine Jesus being lifted up in the clouds and going into heaven. They're standing there, and Jesus goes up to heaven and sits down at the right hand of the Father and he says, angels, you got to get them off to work. They're, they're just staring up at the clouds. And the angel comes down, and he says, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go. time. He's coming back. Before he comes back, you have a job to do. God wants to equip you through the power of the Spirit to accomplish his work until he comes back. Jesus continued is the church. Jesus continued is the power of the Spirit. Jesus continued is you. The people of God. Verse 12, they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they'd entered, they went up to the upper room where they 
were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women, the Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. We know what happens here. They spend time with one another in prayer. And thus the Lord sends the Holy Spirit and power and might. We're going to look at that next week in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes. and We see the birth of God's church. Thousands of people being saved. The power of God visible to the human eye declaring the goodness, the greatness of God through his spirit. Before all that happened, there was a group of people got on their knees and said, Lord, we want you to work. We believe what you say is true. We're asking you to do something mighty and powerful for your glory. This is our third point this morning. Prayer ignites the work of God for his glory. Prayer ignites the work of God for his glory. We were studying this passage. Me and Scott, actually. Scott, you met him earlier when he was doing the prayer offering. We were praying through this passage, or we were looking at this passage, and we were kind of discussing some of the themes and what God wanted to say through his, his passage. And we realized, we came to this point, we realized we had yet to take time to pray and ask God what he wanted to say in this passage. Scott got on his knees and we began to pray and ask the Lord to work through his spirit. How many times do we do that? We begin to run instead of asking the Lord to do it in his power. Guess what happens when we ask the Lord to do what he wants to do? God comes in power and does it. How can we ask God? Or how can we not ask God? How does God receive glory when we don't ask him to do a work? How how can he work in his church and receive glory if we're not asking him to do it? Guess what? The results are in. God cannot receive glory for things that we do not ask him to do. Why? Because we believe that we do not need him to do it. 
Every work of God comes about through prayer. You're going to see here in Acts, prayer and the work of the Spirit go hand in hand. All over this book, prayer is inviting the Spirit of God to do the work of God through you. Prayer is not about you. Prayer is about the glory of God. Look at what Jesus says about prayer. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. You're inviting God to come. To work in and through you to do what he wants to do. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask God to do his work by the Spirit through prayer. This is the problem that we have in the American church. We thought Christianity was about us. We were told, be Christian. You can be saved for you and your benefit God wants to save you so you don't go to hell. No, God wants to save you for his glory so that he can transform your life to glorify him with it. Or how about this? You come to be a Christian because God can fix your marriage or God can make your kids good or God will bless you and give you money. No, God fixes our marriage so that we can glorify him with our marriage. He gives us children so we can send them to the far reaches of the ends of the earth to proclaim the gospel message. And he gives us money so that we can use it for his great purposes and his great glory. Christian message is not about us. It is for the glory of God. God gives his Holy Spirit to people who are praying for him to be used by them. We wonder why sometimes we aren't filled with the Spirit or aren't seeing the presence of God in areas of our life. Maybe we need to go back to what they were doing in the book of Acts, praying and fasting, asking desperately that God And his presence would come into our life to do what he can only do. Asking God to ignite our hearts with a passion and a flame for the presence and the power of God. Do we want to see God? If we could just see God yearn for his glory. We will begin to see the plan of God for a life that is led by the Spirit. Often, as Christians, illustration that we began with this morning, we feel as if God has left us We feel we don't 
see the presence of the living God in our own heart, in our own mind. We don't see his spirit interacting with us, and he has never left us. We begin running this race on our own. Sometimes we need the word of God people around us to speak truth and say, no, go back. Go back to the starting point. Go back to when the gospel was fresh in our life. Go back to where Christ died on the cross in your place. Begin to ask the Lord to use you because he's never left you. Ask the Lord to do a work and watch the power and the presence of God do a work in your life.